Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Zach Van Norman, and I am joined by a guest host tonight, guest co-host that is, because my regular co-host, Amy Hood, is sick and under the weather and not able to make it. So instead, my dear friend, Ashley Benson, is here. Hello, Ashley. Hello. How are you? Excited to be here. I'm good. I am very good for for Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Tuesdays are always a fun day for everybody because you're still that post Monday haze. Yes. Monday Junior. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yes. Um, so everybody, if you're just tuning in, of course we do have the chat room going to be opening up here shortly. Um, just give it a couple of seconds because. Uh, um. It takes a couple of page refreshes sometimes before it opens up, um, so just keep giving it a nice refresh, and we'll be able to um, get you in there. I see that I'm in there now, so hopefully some other people will be in there too. Um, we've got a lot to go over with this podcast because there's actually a lot that happened in the way of Once Upon a Time news for Season 4. We've got a long list of bullet points that we're going to be getting through. Then, of course, we'll be getting into our episode review of Queen of Hearts, which I do rather enjoy, even though it's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a weird episode for me, and I'll point that out when we get into it, but I digress. Let's get on into the news, because we do have a lot of it to share. All right, so first thing is that there's been a couple of TVLine.com articles, and the first one was very recently, it came out yesterday, as a matter of fact, where it was revealed that the season four theme is going to be Never Give Up on the People You Love which is something that I'm sure a lot of us can find, you know, very practical and something that might be needing to put to, be put to use in our lives. Um, <laughs> it, was also, it was also revealed that Regina, Robin Hood, and Marion will be complicated and messy, but that they hope that it's a hot mess. Um, <laughs> some past history. Yeah, yeah what, I don't know what that's about, Ashley. I don't know, like, uh, they hope oh. it's a hot mess. <laughs> I'm not in the chat room, so I have to mitigate myself. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's a I think it's a gimme though that that relationship is just going to considering you know who's all involved in the history with everything. I think it's a gimme that that is going to be uh, quite an interesting uh, triumvirate to watch. That's a great word, triumvirate. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, very good word. I approve. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be really interesting. Um, I've I've wrote a prediction article about season four that we'll get to in just a second to address some of those points. But I agree, it's gonna be rather complicated, and I mm-hmm. think it's gonna mean a lot for not only Regina but a lot of other characters too. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the same article also mentioned that past history will test Emma and Hook's new relationship. I don't quite know what that means exactly, but I, I find that to be very interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if they're talking about Emma's past history with uh, with Regina and, and that whole situation. I don't think that Neil, or maybe Neil could become, you know, could have a part to play in this. I don't know. Um, maybe that's part of the past history that will come up, but I don't think so. I'm not quite sure what that would mean. Um, let me see. It also said that Mary Margaret will be presented with much more responsibility beyond motherhood, which makes me wonder if she's going to find herself back in the classroom as a teacher, since most of those students probably don't have a teacher right now. Um, and if they do, it's, you know, 
maybe <laughs> wouldn't it be fun if it was Granny? She's like subbing. And uh, <laughs> crossbow maintenance uh, 101. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and then also the final note on that article was that somebody in Storybrooke will be thrilled to see the Frozen characters, and somebody else won't. Well, I'm pretty sure that the person who won't be so thrilled is Rumpel's the Snow Queen herself will not, may not be so thrilled to see them. As far as the person who will be thrilled to see them, uh, I I really don't know because uh, I think that's going to establish a connection between the Frozen characters and a character that we already know in a way that's you know, I mean it's obviously going to be new to us. So I don't know what that means. Ashley, you have any thoughts? I wonder if that is referring to the knave, since we know he's going to be in Storybrooke and much theories have been flying around uh, regarding his connection to the Frozen storyline. So I wonder if he um, had been hanging out in Storybrooke and, you know, seeing Elsa or seeing maybe even the Snow Queen, which is really not quote-unquote a Frozen character, um, if that might be... Uh, the person who would be excited to see them. Yeah, uh, I agree. I've, it's funny you mentioned the knave because I, I think that he has a part to play in all of this too. Um, so yeah, we'll get to that later on though when we bring up the the article. Later on. However, speaking of the Frozen characters, there was some news from Entertainment Weekly about some interesting things about our favorite Frozen characters. And Ashley, I believe you have that bulletin for us. Yes. I do. It was a bit frozen heavy with the EW article here. Um, they said that Anna and Elsa's parents were killed while en route to a mysterious location that would help Elsa control her powers. Now, I feel like that's a bit of a, a divergence from the movie. Um, where, Well, actually, we don't know where they were going with the movie. Um, I know popular fan theories have the whole Disney Universe connection, uh, but that'd be interesting to see a, a more of a take on the, excuse me, Frozen background. Um, the, the next bullet is um, Anna wants to complete that journey against Elsa's wishes, um, which I find interesting because Elsa, it seems like, might be a bit content or a bit uh, more comfortable with her powers than Anna would be um, if that's the case. Also, mm-hmm. we found out, and I thought this is this is going to be an interesting way to uh, start out the season, that Elsa will create a snow monster for protection in Storybrooke. Now, why she would feel threatened as soon as she steps into that quiet town in Maine is interesting to me. Um, and yeah. I wonder if we're going to be seeing that snow monster from the movie Frozen or if it's going to be a bit of a different take. You know, a monster uh, Olaf cameo okay. or something. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll be the same one. Um, his name is Marshmallow, for anybody who doesn't know the guy from Frozen. His name is Marshmallow. So I think that Marshmallow will be making an appearance, at least I hope so. Um, I would want it to be the same one. Um, I don't think that Olaf would necessarily be the most protective person in the world, so I don't think that he <laughs> would be coming on the show. Although it would It'll be fun to see him because he could experience summer. Like, it would be summer for Olaf. Like, that'd be so cute. But, <laughs> They did already say that Olaf is probably not going to be appearing, so I don't think that'll be the case. But yeah, I'm interested in that. What that means, yeah. The uh, other interesting point from this article is that Mr. Gold will discover an object that makes him question whether um, whether it's not to give Belle the real dagger. Now, I feel that the obvious object here would be Elsa's urn. But I'm wondering if it's something else, if it's something – I'm stuck on the Black Fairies, so I'm wondering if it's the Black Fairies wand that might crop up, or as we talked about 
um, in previous podcasts, maybe something to do with the Sorcerer's Apprentice that might give him pause. Um, I don't know. I find that very interesting. I want to see an, uh, what object this would be that would cause the Dark One to kind of take, you know, take a minute and go, oh, whoa, wait there. Um, so, yeah. And then the last bit is that Hook is going to be irritated that Emma is uh, blowing him off to uh, in a, while she's attempting to mend fences with Regina. Um, so a bit of a bit of a jealous boyfriend hook situation going on there. Though I do appreciate that Emma and Regina. It's not going to be so much uh, of a season one, you know, full on fight as opposed to that they have their established relationship and. Obviously, they are being civil for the sake of Henry, and I hope they continue along that line. I agree. Um, I hope that they do that as well. I, I'm interested to see how their relationship is going to be because Jennifer Morrison did mention in another article um, recently that, uh, that they're going to be returning to being adversaries, kind of like they were in season one, but it's obviously not going to be a straight return to that kind of dynamic because things have changed for them so drastically mm. um so i don't think it's necessarily going to be i think it's going to be a mix um mm. i'm in, i'm really interested like cause, i mean on the one hand you know regina would obviously want to take revenge and and not be happy with emma at all but on the other hand henry is there and he's a huge factor now and they have come to some kind of understanding already he's already seen that happen so um yeah, I'm really, I'm really, really interested to see how that whole thing is going to play out. Um, oh, definitely. Like, it's a season one problem with the season four character development. I, I really want to see where the writer is going to take this. I, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, season one problem with season four character development. That's exactly right. Um, I think you're right on the money with that. So I'm, uh, I can't wait because I, I do, I do love when the, when the queen and and the savior go at it hand to head. Um, they've got some of the best sparring, and like Jennifer Morrison said, that's kind of where the series first got its footing was the fact that those two were having so many issues together. And so, a return to that, I think, is going to be pretty welcome. Oh yes, I agree. I, I am very keen on that myself. Yeah, and the fact that he's going to be irritated with, you know, Emma spending more time with Regina than him. Uh, it was revealed to TVLine.com recently by the creators of the show that more of Hook's past will be revealed, but we won't be finding out who he traded the Jolly Roger to until somewhere else down the road. So we're not going to be getting a quick answer on that. Um, it's going to be a little bit to take that reveal to be shown. That's really not – I'm not speaking very good English at all right there, but that's okay. Um <laughs> Um, I do think that uh, I think it's going to be interesting to find out because as far as I know and as far as I'm really kind of concerned when they when Charming and Snow and Regina cast you know the curse that brought them all back to Storybrooke in the you know in the second place I would think that would mean that there wasn't anybody left there for Hook to trade the ship to so and not only that, but whoever it was had some kind of bean or portal or something in order to get him back. So I'm, Matt, I'm Matt, really, maybe? oh, perhaps it wasn't, oh, perhaps there was a mirror involved. Yes. Perhaps there was a looking glass involved even, such as what Maleficent had in her castle that the knave happened to steal. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Strokey beard moment. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. And then they also mentioned that for Episode 7, which we do not know the title of yet, um, Star Wars or Once Upon a Time, for that matter, um, they are casting the one-off role of a pompous prince who, beneath his veneer of confidence slash arrogance, is not much more than a coward ill-equipped to handle conflict. So, I have no idea who that could be. I am, that's intriguing to me. Like, whose backstory is that going to fit into? I'm wondering if it has something to do with Hans. They've already cast Hans, but I'm oh. wondering if maybe it's one of his brothers or... Um, I've, I've, I've heard a bit of a, bit of a discussion in, in along with that. Um, did he have several brothers, though? So maybe this is one brother he has who... Well, maybe this is one the one brother who really kind of pushed him along the way of being a canoe. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I'm really curious about that because, like you, I I don't know who's I'm I have no idea who what backstory that's going to fit into at all. Um, I wonder if the uh, title of the episode will give us a clue. I'm really looking forward to when that you know pops up. Yeah, I imagine that it will, um, or at least maybe a, uh, some kind of a direction, at least, of where where it could be going. I'm really looking forward to hearing what that's going to be as well. And it's really what's really weird to me to think about is that they're already filming Episode 6, getting ready to film Episode 7 out of the first 11 episodes before the split. Like, yeah, they're really chopping along, I'm wondering. Yeah, they really are. They're they're going along at a pretty brisk pace. So I'm curious at that to find out. I mean, I can't believe that we're already that far along in in filming, even though the show hasn't premiered yet. We're already nearly done with the first half of the season as far as filming goes. It's kind of crazy. Maybe there's a lot of uh, post production involved. Maybe we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, chilly moments. Huh? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, they keep saying that story work has frozen over. They better make good on their word with that. Um, oh. I want to see some. I want to see some snow and ice, and I don't know how they're going to do it when everything is all sunny and summery up there. But yeah, I I want to see some ice. I want, I want to see ridiculous frozen. hats. Everyone has to wear ridiculous furry hats because it's so cold. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, me too. Emma has a thing for wearing hats with poofs on top, and that's what I want. So return of the poofy hats. Yes. Yes, return of the poofy hats. Um. And, okay. Uh, and speaking of frozen, yes, and you know, all the all the ice and things like that. There was a note from the Frozen producers about a couple of things on the show. Uh, if you think you have that for us, Ashley, yes? I do, and I found this very, very interesting that the Frozen producers say that the characters will may, remain true to who they are in the movie. Um, obviously, that means that while Elsa is a bit of an antagonist, I think she'll be more misunderstood than anything now. I think that's kind of a gimme anyway, but... Um, I, I the fans of Frozen, I think, will be pleased with what the show is going to be doing, and I think it's going to create a bit of an interesting uh, juxtaposition between you have these Frozen characters, and then you have obviously somebody like the Snow Queen, who represents more of the old world, darkened, creepy fairy tale, death and dismemberment, and to see those two compared, coming from kind of the same source, I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Um, because I like the fact, well, first of all, I just want to say that I like the fact that the producers of the movie are taking an active interest in what's happening on the show. 
and that they're letting everybody know, you know, that they are keeping it in line with what's already happened, that they're not going to be taking the characters too far out of, you know, who we already know them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm excited about that. I'm I also just I really wonder. I mean, there's a lot of themes from Frozen that really play a lot with what I mean into what's going on with the characters now, um, which I had the opportunity to ask some of them about. We'll get to that in a second. But um, yeah, I I think that it's I can see why it's appropriate that they brought them onto the show now. I can see why they're doing it. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this whole thing is going to play out because it seems like the way that they're incorporating the characters in is going to, it's not just going to be like a a little side thing that it's actually going to have some real consequences for everybody, including the frozen characters. Oh, totally. Like I was, I was a bit, I have to admit, I was a bit on the fence when Elsa popped up in that finale. I was a bit like, it's a bit soon, but from all I've been hearing, like you said, I feel like they're not just going to be stuck into a story. I feel like they're going to be woven in very well with the where Storybrooke and where all of our favorites are at at this moment. Exactly. Exactly. Because it, it does play into it a lot, um, which actually brings us to our our next news bulletin here. So if you are a follower of Once Upon a Fan, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, then you may have seen earlier this week that um, I released my season four prediction article, um, which I'm actually pretty proud of. And uh, I, I think that I've got a lot of it nailed down. I'm just going to read a few points from this here, especially the stuff that has to do with Frozen, um, because it's obviously the topic du jour. And I uh, want to make sure that we incorporate some of that in here. Um, so let me see. Let me just pull this up really quick. So um, between Anna and Emma, that's going to be the first thing that I want to talk about because uh, those two characters share some parallels that are, I mean, it, it makes total sense to me now why they're bringing Frozen on, and this is kind of the reason why. So, I mean, on Frozen, you know, in the movie, Elsa's major struggle is to understand that love is the key to controlling her magic, and that seems to be a parallel to Emma's journey and letting things go and using her magic and also a reason why the two characters would interact. Uh, when I talked to Jennifer Morrison at San Diego Comic-Con this year, she can basically confirmed that. She said that Emma finally has someone who understands her that isn't family, and this is her first friend. Um, Entertainment Weekly also confirmed that recently, getting a note from Eddie Kitts is saying that the two of them are going to be two magical peas in a pod. And, to, uh, and so, you know, they are going to have some of that interaction there. And then as I wrote in my article, this is Emma's first chance at learning magic and understanding herself from somebody who is on the same path as she, as she is. So, you know, look for Elsa to play a pivotal role in Emma's journey, you know, magical and not as far as her self-discovery. Um, Entertainment Weekly kind of confirmed that too because they said that Emma will be delving into more of her magic this season. Um, as far as Elsa and Regina goes, you know, Emma's not the only character who shares a parallel to Elsa's struggle. Regina has, you know, she's been long burdened with the fight against evil. She finally embraced her good side when she used light magic to defeat Zelina at the end of season three. When I asked Lana Perea about that at Comic-Con, she said that Emma, or excuse me, Elsa can't really control her magic yet, but that Regina can. And you'll see there's some sort of parallel there, but she actually could not reveal very much about, about their interaction because it was too much of a spoiler. So take, take that for what you will. 
Mm. You know, and um, Regina's road to redemption is far from over because Marion's return, thanks to Emma, has planted a new seed of evil in her heart. And, you know, as she fights for her true love against her evil tendencies, I think that Elsa's experience with love being, you know, is going to be the key to Regina understanding light magic and kind of realizing that, you know, true love can melt a frozen heart. Um, Also, Elsa is the queen of her kingdom, and it could totally conflict with Regina's control issues and lead to a confrontation between them, uh, something that they actually kind of hinted at in the new promo that they released uh, just today. There is a new promo out today, so you might want to take a look for that. Um, I do think that Elizabeth Mitchell is going to be playing the Snow Queen, um, I, that's just, I would be disappointed what? if she wasn't at this point. Yeah. Um, and I just want to point out too, that Frozen is a very loose adaptation of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale that has the, that is called the Snow Queen. Very, very loose adaptation. But because they're so different, you know, the differences between Frozen and the Snow Queen definitely allow for Elizabeth Mitchell's character to be a completely different Snow Queen from who Elsa is. And, uh, you know, Adam, Adam Horowitz did mention that Elizabeth Mitchell's character is connected to Arendelle and Storybrooke. Um, so I think that Elsa, or excuse me, I think that Elizabeth Mitchell's Snow Queen will be the person who cursed Elsa with her powers to begin with. Um, I wonder if that, kind of what we were talking about earlier, Ashley, I wonder if that's where Elsa and Anna's parents were on their way to when they died in her? the... In the storm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm interested in that. And I also think that she might be the one to end up freezing Storybrooke, but that Elsa is going to get the blame for that. So, oh, I of... could totally see that happening. Oh, good God. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because then that's just... talking about this now. I'm just, ooh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I really think that's going to be the case because Elsa is not really a villain I don't think they're going to make her a villain in the storyline. I think that she is going to be, you know, the same woman that we all know from the movie, um, but that, you know, obviously they're going to create some conflict there because if the Snow Queen is the one who, you know, frees a storybook and Elsa gets the blame, that's just, you know, going to play into her being misunderstood and everything. So I, I really think that that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And finally, as far as the unfreezing of Storybrooke goes, I think that Regina and Emma are going to have to work together to save Storybrooke from the Snow Queen. I think that ultimately the Snow Queen is going to be the villain. You know, with Elsa added into the mix, I think that the three of them are going to work together to uh, take care of that. And that, you know, of course, they will eventually defeat the Snow Queen before the big bad villain of the second half of the season rears her ugly dragon head in the form of Maleficent. So yeah, I wonder if whatever they're they're doing, whether they're fiddling around and learning magic and stuff, if that has something to do with uh, Maleficent kind of coming back from her. Well, we don't even know. For, I mean, I assume we're going to see her in non-dragon form, but I wonder if all of this mixing of magic and mojo, because obviously Elsa is going to be the thing that's going to bring Regina and Emma together, I think, to defeat the the big bad of part one. Um, if that's going to, we're going to see maybe in the last couple of minutes of the end of uh, part A, uh, suddenly Maleficent's like, I'm back. What now? Where's my unicorn? You know? Yeah, I, uh, yes, exactly. Where's my unicorn? <laughs> um, 
I think that you're you're dead on with that. Actually, that is exactly what I think is is going to happen. Um, and I and I've seen some online chatter of people wondering how Maleficent can be the villain, considering everything that's already happened. So, th- and this is what I'm going to say. And I give total credit to our editor Gareth Hughes for this because this was originally his idea. So when Regina had to undo Pan's curse, at that point in the storyline, Maleficent was still hanging out down in the cavern as that weird kind of dust mummy thing. It was um, the Halloween decoration version, right? Yeah, the Halloween decoration version of herself. Yeah, the one where she's wearing red and she's got like gold horns instead of the other ones. Yeah, that that weirdness. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so at that point So at that point when Pan was going through Storybrooke and he was, you know, wreaking havoc and the curse was coming, Maleficent was still down there in that form. And when Regina undid her curse, that means that she undid everything, and Maleficent was returned to the Enchanted Forest as her normal self. Now, what's interesting interesting to note, too, is that in the flashbacks for The Missing Year, um, there's a big eight-month gap that we did not see. Um, we go from the very beginning when they get there and we all find out that Snow and Charming are having another baby to eight months later and they don't know how to defeat the Wicked Witch and, you know, the curses, you know, basically I figure out that they have to go and find Glenda and then they cast the curse and everything else. So there's eight months of missing time there. And they did say that we might see more of the missing year this year. Uh, I think that some of that may come into play in the second half of the season because I think it's entirely possible that they encountered Maleficent again while they were back in the Enchanted Forest, or at least Regina probably did. And then when Charming and Snow cast the curse and it brought everybody to Storybrooke, that doesn't necessarily mean that Regina trapped her in her dragon form this time. Right. Oh, I didn't even think about that. She may just have been running around as her normal self behind the scenes, gathering whatever forces she needs to to really wreak havoc on the town and, you know, kind of letting pieces fall where they may. And then once the Frozen storyline is done, that's when she's going to show up. And, you know, she's not going to be very happy. And I can tell you that. Maleficent's probably not going to be a very happy woman. Um, because even if they did not encounter her in the Enchanted Forest, you know, it's kind of, I'm sure it's kind of going to be hard for her to get over the fact that she was kept a dragon for 28 years in a cavern and then end up getting, you know, stabbed in the gut by a sword by Emma. So Right. Um, well, I was going to say, she doesn't really have much beef with Snow and Charming per se, but now that everyone's kind of a united front and plus, you know, their child, Emma, did shank her in the caverns, I think that yeah, there could be a little uh, little animosity there, just a just a skosh. <laughs> yeah, just just a tad, you know. I mean, the woman. This is a woman who you know cursed a baby because she didn't get an invitation to a party. So who knows what kind of revenge she's going to take after all of that happened? I, you know, I'm just saying. So. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully really. that leaves us some flora fauna and merryweather action. I'm hoping for that. Um, Oh my gosh, I am so hoping that we get the flashback to, you know, what happened with Maleficent going after Aurora's mother and the three good fairies. I have been wanting the three good fairies on the show since season one, so I'm I'm more, ready for it. More sassy fairies. More sassy fairies. Yes. 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 Beyond, um. you know. <laughs> never mind. I was, I was going to say beyond me, but I'm not on the show, so yeah. Ah. Um, 
<laughs> All right. And so, oh, um, speaking of you, <laughs> yeah. um, I hear tell you uh, had an interview earlier this week with a uh, certain dwarf. Uh, you got a chance to have a nice long chat with Lee Armberg, and that uh, interview will be appearing on the site at the end of the week. How was that? Uh, yes, that is correct. I did interview Lee, um, and it was uh, it was very exciting. Lee is a very chill guy. Um, he is very relaxed. He's very down to earth, very knowledgeable about the acting process, and um, I will also say that he is very aware of the fandom and the effect that the show has had on people and how much people love the show. Uh, he is very aware of all of that. Uh, we talked for pretty much an hour, I think just a few minutes shy of an hour. So it was pretty lengthy. And as you said, it will be on the fan site, onceuponafans.com, later on this week. I'm just working on finalizing everything and making sure that we have all the deets there for you to read. But, uh, yeah, it was it was very exciting on a personal note for me because I love Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I always have, I'm also a huge Star Trek fan. And he has been in all four of the recent Star Trek TV series, and he was also Pinto the Pirate on Pirate. So, um, and then he plays Grumpy on Once Upon a Time. So all around, he's hitting all kinds of fandoms for me. So it was kind of cool to, to get to talk to him and, and have that opportunity. So I just want to take this time right now really quickly to thank Lee for that interview and also his representative, Lori, for uh, helping get that done. Thank you very much to you both. I'm very, very grateful, and I will probably never, ever forget that conversation. So thank you both very much. That's fantastic. And they're both great. That's fantastic. I love it. It was. It was, it was so nifty. But, yeah. Um, and then we also have news from last week, uh, which we actually talked about in the middle of the podcast, but we did not bring it up <laughs> at the beginning of our news stuff because it was literally breaking news in the middle of the podcast. So in case you missed it, they have cast the lovely, talented Frances O'Connor as Belle's mom. Colette is her name. Yes, she will which be means, I looked it up, Colette means victory of the people, so let's just let that simmer because we all know names are very important. Oh, my gosh, you would look that up. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, that's fine. Oh, my gosh, really? It means victory of the people? Oh, wow. Yeah, I checked, okay. I checked in a bunch of different sites. It's actually it's the diminutive of Nicole, and obviously it's French, and it means victory of the people. That's very hmm. interesting. I want to say, and here's the thing that they've never, ever addressed, that they've never said one way or the other, but we should be finding it out. We don't know if Belle's mom is dead or just somewhere else. Am I? Mm. Um, I have a feeling that she probably doesn't have the happiest of endings, but, you know, you, you never know on this show. We kind of thought the same thing about Belle, and she just, you know, ended up being in an asylum for 30 years. So, hey, you never know. Oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be the perfect parallel to her character if she's, like, in that weird, crazy guy from the animated movies, Asylum? Like, if they end up committing her... Oh, my her, God, uh, what, what is his name? The uh, the guy who did Tony the Tiger's voice. Oh, um, yes. Oh, cre- Tony J. But he's in the assignment. like, yes, I love it. If, if yes, somehow... Some, oh, goodness. I'd be to rewatch oh, it. Hmm. She's like going crazy because of something. Oh, ooh, what if that's the object that convinces Rumple to give Belle the dagger? It's the same thing that like makes her go crazy. Oh, 
Connections. Connections. Hawk is chiming in in the chat room saying that his name is Monsieur. God, I can't. I don't speak French. Dark. Yes. It's Mr. Dark. Mr. Dark. Mr. Dark. Perfect joke of Mr. Gold. Yeah. Mr. Gold and Mr. Dark. Yeah, just, you know, sipping tea on the lanai, you know, with, you know, Sophia and Dorothy and the other Golden Girls. Just, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) I don't know where that reference came from, but whatever. Um, So, yeah. That's some that's some cool interesting news there. Um, I really oh I can't wait for the season to start. I, I just want it now. Uh, well, we've only got nineteen days. Like, nice. I was saying, seeing like the promo and everything, I'm getting more jazz. Like, we haven't been given a lot, but little tidbits here and there make you go ooh ooh yes, you know. So I that's how I like it. I like I like little little sprinkling here and there to make me go oh yes no tuning in definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. 19 days, everybody. 19 days away. That's it. Now, I feel like Veruca Salt. I want it now, Daddy. Give it to me now. Okay. Daddy, Um, I want it now. Now. Yes, indeed. All right, so that's pretty much it for our news roundup. And if anybody wants to read some of the other season four predictions that I made about Maleficent and Regina and the fairies and everybody else, you can check it out on onceuponafans.com. It's right there on the front page um, up at the top, so you can check that out. I've got some stuff in there about Henry. Um, I really think – oh, okay, yeah. So the iconic thing from Disney lore that we're going to be seeing in the first few episodes, pretty sure it's the Sorcerer's Hat. Pretty sure it's going to have to do with Henry and Rumpel. Um, I personally am hoping for a scene where Henry tries to, you know, he accidentally enchants a bunch of brooms to clean up the pawn shop, and he ends up flooding the place. Um, That's just me. No, I want to see that too. I, I. Just a moment of levity in some, you know, some of the heavier parts of the season where you just see Henry up to his knees in water and these brooms like boom, 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 running around. It's like, Grandpa's going to kill me. Yeah, because especially if Mark Isham decides to throw some of the, uh, some of the, um, the theme from Fantasia in there, I would, I would just love that, so. Yeah, I'm so ready for this show to be back. I'm so ready. (laughs) All right. So this week, everybody, for those of you who have been paying attention, we're going to be, we rewatched Queen of Hearts from season two, which is uh, one of my, I really love this episode quite a bit, um, because it finally confirmed the fact that Korra is, in fact, the Queen of Hearts. And I had made, I made that guess in season one after we saw the um, uh, hat trick. So I was, I was happy to finally get some confirmation on that. Quite proud of it. Um, I know a lot of other people have made that guess too, so I know I'm not the only one. But it was just nice to kind of get some confirmation of that. Um, overall, though, there's there's good and bad things about this episode. There is one huge glaring thing in this episode that drives me crazy and that I question, but otherwise I think it's a pretty good episode. Ashley, what's your general opinion of this one? This one actually is one of my favorites because it was the very first, because I came into Once Upon a Time a little late. So this is the first episode that I actually watched live, like with, you know, the, the, the fandom at large, like everyone was tweeting the tweets and tumbling the tumbles and doing all that. So to 
it got me so jazzed to see people being like, yes, queen of hearts, she's the queen, our theories are correct, and being like, Ooh, wait, there's there's theories? Like, what's going on? And just, it was my, my, my head first dive into being a bigger, more active part of the fans, which I think are a huge part of the show. So, but as far as the actual meat and potatoes of the episode, I... I liked it because I, I it was whippy for me. Like it was, I was it was hitting all the points for me. I was like, yes, this is happening and this is happening and things are people are running around and magic is occurring and they're finally going home because I at that point I have to personally admit I was a little sick of the camping. I was like, no, no, just go back to Storybook and and be fairy tale characters in the real world. I want to see more of that. Um, but no, this is this is yeah one of my favorites. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was oh, sick of yeah, the camping. It was like the camping parts in, in Harry Potter number, the last one, where it was like, okay, yes, I understand this is important in establishing what they're <laughs> enough with the woods in the tent. Like, go, go back and, and be sassy in Maine. Not that I, don't, I didn't like it. I was just like, no, no, but for real, everybody needs to be in the same realm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree with you on that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I, I think that what had happened originally is I think that, and there's nothing to confirm or deny this one way or the other, but I think that originally they were planning on having them stay in the Enchanted Forest a little bit longer and, uh, mm. and that perhaps everyone's reaction to, to that situation kind of made them speed things up and change it a little bit. So, uh, again, so what it was for me? That, yeah. Right. That's, that's pure speculation. Because what, if, what, I mean, personally for me, the curse had broken at the end of season one. And season two was like, wait, so they know who they are, but they're also in modern times. I love it. And then they went, they were separated. I was like, but I want to see them interact. No, come back. So I think that was, that, that for me, at least personally, was the reaction. I was like, but no, go back. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. Um, so let's get in, let's get on into this. Let us get into this here. So if I can find my notes. All right. So basically, in the past, right? Okay. At the Evil Queen's castle, Captain Hook is like trying to sneak in because he wants to reach Belle because he knows that she has information who, that can help him kill Rumpelstiltskin finally. So he kills the guard, you know, saying that it's time to feed the prisoner, and, you know, the guard knows that it's not, so then he kills the guard, and he sneaks in, and he asks Belle for her help, and she tells him that, you know, she's not going to help him defeat the Dark One and so forth, and so, you know, Hook decides to just, you know, knock her out, um, which I know that there's a, there's been a lot said about that scene. I'm not going to touch on that subject. I'm just going to say that Hook knocked her out, period. That's the end of the story. Um, right or wrong of that, I'm not getting into it. So, yeah. But, so he knocks her out, and then instead of, like, well, then he's going to basically kill her, right? Like, he's going to use his hook. But Regina comes into the cell and magics it away. She poops it away from him. And he's all rude to her, and she says, is that any way to address a queen? And she's wearing that fabulous blue dress, and her hair is that is pizzazz. That is my favorite dress, and actually, rewatching the episode, um, I didn't quite hit me right away, but it does kind of remind me of what Cora wears with the blue, and then you have like all the schmancy stuff around the neck and everything. It didn't really quite hit me when I first watched it, but 
the back of that dress, good Lord, is so fantastic. It hurts. That's my favorite Regina outfit. Yeah, it reminds me of the red one that she wears in The Heart is the Lonely Hunter in season one, the red one. Yes. Reminds me of that a lot. And her hair is just, like, up to the, like, battlements of the castle. It's crazy hair. I love it. Yeah, it's it's good hair. She's got good hair. What's funny is I love it when Regina wears red, but I also like it when she wears blue. Um, and on a note about the color of that dress, obviously, you know, she's asking Hook to go, at, well, as we find out later on, she's asking Hook to go kill her mother for her so that she can't follow her to the new land, which is obviously, you know, no matter how angry you are at your mom, probably going to give you the blues a little bit. And that is reflected in her outfit. So for everybody who knows that I'm a big nut when it comes to color, how they use it on the show, there you go. Regina's got the blues. She's wearing blue. Are we all together with that? All right, cool. So so she basically, you know, Gretz, she gets a hold of Jefferson's hat and lets him know that, you know, he's going to Wonderland and that he needs to kill her heart. So she, you know, spins it and it opens. And the next thing that we see is that Hook is being taken before the queen. And, you know, he says that he's looking for, he's looking for someone and that in this land she goes by the name of Cora. And then that's when we get the confirmation that Cora is the queen of hearts because she stands up and says, and in this land she goes by your majesty. And it's just that great moment where Barbara Hershey gets to go full on, you know, full on Barbara Hershey. Uh, yeah, full on Barbara Hershey, um, full Cora. I love her so much. Um, I've loved Barbara Hershey since the movie Beaches. Um, yeah, it was, she was it was delicious to hate. Yeah, she really is. She's just especially yeah. this episode because you're like, like every five seconds, you're like, really, Cora? Like, come on. <laughs> What's the and stop, Cora? No, but you're you still kind of semi rooting for you, like oh no, yes, no, be devious still, like do do the thing. Ooh-hoo. I think she's that's a sign of how, really, how written she is. She's hmm? Such a witch, like she just is. I mean, even as a young woman, she's just oh, but that's what makes know. her fun. Oh, that was my favorite. Like I loathed her. I remember watching this episode and being like, like. Like four letter words at the TV screen, like really. But like you know, obviously when she met her demise later on in the uh, season, I was like, no, come back, be evil still. And I think that's a sign of a really uh, a, a well written villain or a, a very satisfying villain is that she's not just like toony, like mustache twirling, like blah, but she's deep and and, and wicked and ooh, I love it. Yeah. And and as we find out more about her character, you kind of see why she is that way, I guess. I mean, honestly, the moment that I like her the most is in that episode, The Miller's Daughter, where she, where she's in the shop and she's about to kill Rumpel, and Regina puts her heart back in her, and oh, and she's and she has some real emotions, and because the way that she looked at Regina, you could tell that she actually felt real love for her, and it was only was in a- that moment. That finally like, yes, Cora, I like you. And then she promptly died. So there was no <laughs> there was no chance really to get to know that side of her, and it made me sad. 
I agree. Like that was a, like a one million dollar smile that she had towards Regina, and then just ugh, just keeled over. Oh. And, and, and and honestly, like every all of her skullduggery up to that point makes that smile so much more satisfying because you just I don't know. There's I could go on for days about Cora. Like you need to cut me off now because I could talk about Barbara Hershey till like the cows come home. Yeah, sorry, everyone. We're just going to talk about Barbara Hershey for the next 45 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Barbara Hershey um, Power Hour. Yeah, Barbara, Barbara Hershey Power Hour. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, I love it. But anyway, so in Wonderland, she questions how Hook is going to, you know, return to the Enchanted Forest because he came in with a dead guard, and she wants to know for, with whom returning. Yeah, Claude. You remember Claude. Um, you killed him in the cell block. Um, anyway, so, you know, Hook says that he's going to kill her and take her, and so he takes his enchanted hook, it was enchanted by Regina, and, you know, shoves it into her chest and comes back empty-hooked because, as she notes, she's the queen of hearts. Would you really think that she keeps her heart in the same place that everybody else does? I love that line. I was because it's so obvious that at the same time I was like, "We're gonna get her heart," and she's like, "Really, guys? Like, it's an amateur hour. Queen of Hearts here. Represent." <laughs> exactly. Like, hello. She's. I'm like she says. I'm the queen of hearts. Like, yes, you are. You're a horrible, horrible woman, and that's why you didn't bring it with you. Um, <laughs> she is a horrible woman. She's so horrible. Oh, anyways, she's the um, worst woman ever. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, I guess. So after that, she reaches into Hook's chest and tells him that this is how it's done. And so she's got a hold of his heart there, but she never actually takes it out. So he's just, you know, she's really making him feel the pain right there, right then and there, because, you know, she's got her hand in his chest the whole time. She didn't just rip his heart out. Like, he's feeling it the whole time. So you he explained that he had hooked him yes indeed she hooked him with her with her feminine wiles if you will <laughs> so oh, i don't know about that but so, yeah i know right uh, so she she tells him that he has you know she makes him tell everything like as far as you know regina is the one who sent him to kill her and she's all surprised about it which i don't know why like you treated her horribly she shoved you through a looking glass like why are you so surprised that she would want you dead? Maybe it's the, the the length of time that it's been that she's surprised. I don't know. But she's she's also hurt, too. Like, the mother can't really quite believe that the daughter is, like, trying to kill her. And again, well, I mean, like, at that point, though, she doesn't have a heart. So she's kind of like, you know, she's kind of the mayor of crazy town at this point. It's a little like, woohoo. So her idea of affection is probably really skewed. And I think that also reflects in her whole motivation this entire episode where she's like, and I'm going to get back there, and I'm going to give her everything I want her, that Regina wants, and I'm going to make her love me, like, murdering the world. And it's, like, that's not the best way about going about that, Cora, but you do your thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not the best way of going about that, but, you know, a queen will do what she does, so. <laughs> yeah. um, let me see. Um, so then we let's see. I'm reading my own notes here. Okay, yeah. So she decides that he, you know, she takes her hand out of his heart after she finds out everything she needs to know, 
And she gives him the option of going with her because she can't just control him because otherwise Regina would know. So he says that, and, you know, she explains to him that Regina's curse is going to rob him of his memory and he won't remember Rumpelstiltskin, the fact that, you know, he wants to kill him. So Regina has kind of, you know, kind of tricked him a little bit. Like she has fooled him. So he agrees that Cora, you know, he agrees to work with Cora so that he can still get his revenge and kill Rumpelstiltskin and, you know, not be affected by the curse and everything else. So that's where their partnership was forged. There in her chamber. Ooh. <laughs> in the throat. Sorry. Yeah. I always thought of him as kind of the O'Brien and uh, Thomas, uh, you know, O'Brien and Thomas from Downton Abbey. The O'Brien and Thomas of Once Upon a Time, they're just like oh, plotting and whatever in the background and like they all got their agenda and everything. But uh, yeah, I did like them working together for the forces of evil. That was fun. It was I fun. Um, fun. They actually had, they had a pretty good chemistry about them. Their characters, it kind of made sense for them to be chilling together, hanging out, plotting, you know, being villainous. Um, mm-hmm. And it always makes me laugh, too, because whenever I see the Disney versions of the Queen of Hearts and Hook together, I'm always like, oh, yeah, they, they were chilling for a while together. That's pretty cool. So it always makes me laugh. So then Hook decides to bring Cora, who is, you know, faking death, to Regina and, you know, in the, in the tomb there, the crypt that she created for her. And Regina basically confesses that, you know, she loves her, but she had to kill her because Cora's advice is that love is weakness. And Regina, you know, for, for her to do what she has to do, she can't have any weakness, so she had to kill her mom. And that, and so, and then Regina leaves after she puts down the rose on her mom's body. To me, because when I see that scene, um, when I see that scene, I think to myself that in that moment that Regina is confessing that to her mother, that Cora was probably really proud of her. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's really. true. I mean, I mean, really, she, I really do think that in that moment she was proud of her daughter because she was trying to kill her. Like, it's so twisted. But I do think, I mean, I think that's true because you can kind of tell because at that point is when she's like, you know, when after Hook comes in, he says, what happened? I thought you were going to kill her. And she's like, there's been a change of plans. My daughter's curse is coming and we have to prepare ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Right after that is when we see the great mo- – okay, and this is, this is the part of the episode that drives me crazy. So that's when we see, you know, that Cora is standing out in the woods somewhere, and, you know, Hook joins her, and she uses her big, you know, walking stick, command staff, lovely magic-wielding thing to beat the ground with it, and it sends up a spell – which creates a magical shield over part of the enchanted forest. Okay. Cora's magic bubble <laughs> drives me crazy. It drives me crazy because this is supposed to be the curse to end all curses. It's supposed to be the ultimate dark curse, the thing that nobody can escape. And apparently it's just as easy as Cora using a magic bubble to block it for people. Like, Yeah, but we don't I know where really... she got that. I can't believe this is the part that you are hung up on, by the way, because we don't know where she got her her hoodoo to do that. It could be part of, you said it was a staff? 
Yeah, it's like a staff thing. Yeah. Well, what if what if it's one of the branches from that tree that made the wardrobe? Because they said it's the last magic tree or whatever, meaning there are probably more magic trees. You know, like Pinocchio, he was carved out of magic something. So, you like Cora has a vault where she squirrels things away, just like Regina. So, I mean, she probably had a branch of that just save for a rainy day. You never know. I will accept that off-camera explanation for now. Until we get a real one, I thank you for mentioning that because honestly, the only thing that I can think of was maybe she got it from Maleficent, but Maleficent would have been in Storybrooke, so I don't know because honestly, here's, here's what I thought was going to happen when like when season two first started and they revealed that part of the Enchanted Forest had been spared from the curse. I thought that that meant because okay, in the premiere or in one of the episodes, I think it's towards the end of the first season, maybe. It's the one where the Blue Fairy shows up and she says that, and she's talking to Geppetto about the fact that, you know, the the wardrobe will hold two people, but then he tells her that she has to lie to Snow White and he's going to send his son through. It's that one? Okay. Yes. In that episode, she tells him that she has to go because she and the fairies have to make final preparations. And I had always assumed that part of the final preparations was them trying to spare part of the Enchanted Forest from the curse, and that the part that, you know, is in Season 2 was the part that got saved somehow. That, you know, Hmm. like, whatever it was doing, it didn't have enough time to spread to the rest of the land before the curse came, and that's why Snow White and everybody else ended up going there and, and everything else. When it showed that it was just Korra creating her magic Korra bubble... I I was just kind of let down. Like, I mean, like, really? Like, that's all it took? Like, okay. Like, why didn't the Blue Fairy do that? So, I don't know. She's like, shady, we'll, we'll so make... I'm the Blue Fairy, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, Blue Fairy, or maybe, you know... But then again, there's something up with that Blue Fairy, I'm telling you. She has, she has not something, because in Season 3, she tells Snow White that, you know that um, part of their story, you know, their story will be revealed to the Savior in time. And Snow says, part of our story, what does that mean? And she says, I don't know yet. Well, yes, if you don't like, know yet, then it means that, that, that somehow something is going on that you don't have knowledge of it. I'm telling you, the Blue Fairy has been working with Yenta the Sorcerer to make all this stuff happen from the very get-go. Um, I believe it. Because all- I, I, I firmly believe she is just, I've seen so many awesome theories online. She is just, pushing buttons, biding time. I really hope we get, like, a gigantic reveal in, like, the final season. We just get epic music set to, like, these flashes of the Blue Fairy, like, oh, she nudged this this way, and she influenced that, or her not being there, saving somebody, made this happen, and just her standing there, like, Keegan standing there with, like, this smirk on her face, like, and now well, it cause is. Here's, yeah, because here's my thing about that, okay? And it has to do with Henry's storybook, because mm. Peter Pan had a drawing of Henry hundreds of years before Henry was born, which means that somehow somebody in Neverland or somewhere else, the Enchanted Forest, knew that Henry was going to show up one day and that Henry was going to be the truest believer, which means that somebody knew that the curse and everything else was going to happen. Somebody knew that. And it's not just something where it's a seer saying, oh, here's what's going to happen, because the seer and, and then, of course, Rumpel, after he took her powers, 
they don't know what's actually going to happen. They only see pieces of it, and they have to try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to have known. Somebody knew hundreds of years before Henry was born that he was going to be there, and he was going to be the truest believer, and he would be, you know, all of these lovely things that Pan would need. Okay, cool. Who is the only the only person that I swear would know that would be the fairies, number one, who would have a complete record, I mean, you know, of the Enchanted Forest, and so they're the ones who made the book. Now, who would have, you know, who's somebody who could have done that? Perhaps an old sorcerer, perhaps an old man, perhaps an old man with a book that, you know, does all these kinds of things, like Yentz did the sorcerer. And now we're going to see this iconic bit of Disney lore, and we know that the sorcerer's hat exists because it's in Skin Deep? I'm telling you. Deep breath. <laughs> no, for I'm real, not, though, I do I, think that Blue Fairy, like, I just, even in, even in the 13th finale, she just kind of pops up and she's like, oh, hey, you have stuff. And then she knows Emma is not, like, in jiving with the timeline. Like, you remember that bit, right? I always found that interesting where she's like, oh, yeah, no, your, your secrets are your own. And I was like, no. If you're, you know, going to be Madame Omnipotent, you're kind of, maybe you should kind of watch out for tiny-whiny, you know, situations. Tiny-whiny, wibbly-wobbly stuff, yes. Look at how she sidetracked us. She's up to no good. She's up to no good, I'm telling you. Like, or even if she's like, even if it seems on the offset like she's up to no good, like it's all meant for a reason, like she's doing this on purpose. For the greater good. (laughs) For the greater good, yes, because somewhere down the line she knows that, you know, something is going to happen. Because here's what I'm confused about, okay? Here's here's what gets me. Um, The the whole dark, like, okay, Henry was supposed to be the dark one's undoing, right? Mm -hmm. What happened to that? No, they said a boy was supposed, no, they said a boy was supposed to be the dark one's undoing. Okay. And and okay. they jumped to conclusions and said, oh, well, the only boy we see here is Henry, not knowing that, you know, Peter Pan was going to merengue back from Neverland and, like, mess everything up. So, but... Yes, because, because then he killed Peter Pan with the dagger, I guess. Yeah. Now, does, okay, since Rumble survived, but does that mean that Peter Pan is dead, or does that mean he just went back to Neverland? I see that that I always I think I feel like that's up for for revisiting. I feel like yes. I don't think I really don't think we've seen the last of Pan. Same thing. I don't think we've seen the last of Zelina. I feel like this this becoming wisps of smoke like this isn't like a body dropping on the floor. They just kind of poof away. I feel like that leaves much open to folks coming back, which I'm not opposed to personally. Like, I think the villains on the show are, are just fantastic. So, like, yes, more of that, please. Um, if it's done well, which I think it will be, but I, I, I wonder if the time... See, I keep going back to the timeline thing because obviously screwing with history and, and time travel and everything has repercussions, as anybody who's ever watched anything ever knows. So... Emma's actions in the season three finale, I, I think, besides the immediate problems with, you know, Regina and Robin, I feel like they are also there's also going to be a ripple effect, and we're we're going to see some interesting stuff. 
I agree. I, I wouldn't it be awesome if like all the villains could like mm-hmm. come back to life somehow, like all at once. They all show up, um, like at the very end, right when everybody is like all happy, like maybe for like the big finale, but maybe even in the final season itself, everybody thinks that everything is cool. And then all of a sudden, like, the ground, like, breaks open and, like, all these people, like, Zelina is there and Pan and, you know, whoever else. And they're just like, hello, we're here to play again. Like, I was just... I want to get rid of us. I want this huge epic showdown where all the characters are all together all at the same time somehow. And they're all just fighting each other. And then Emma comes in and uses her brand new awesome strong magic and just, like, and, like knocks them all back, and she's like, sorry, nobody saves, nobody saves us but me, like, you know, and just, like, and does her whole magic thing. Yeah, I'm I'm only a little bit pro-Emma, so that's where that's coming from. But, yeah, like, I just want there to be some huge, awesome scenario where they all could, like, be battling it all out together. Like, oh, that would be so cool. That I'm would just going to write I, it. <laughs> just write it. That's the fan fiction of the ages. <laughs> Um, folks in the we uh, chat room seem to be hardcore about that too. Yeah, I I just realized that as, as we've been like talking, we've not really been talking about the episode, but that's okay because we're just talking about that. Okay, cool. We're so, talking about uh, the time it counts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just you know, just coming up with our own fantasy versions of what's going to happen. It's not a big deal. We do this all the time. Um, so yeah, going back to the episode itself. Um. Yeah, the magic Korra bubble appears, and they're protected from the curse. And she explains that, you know, Regina will be kind of broken, basically, after the curse is broken, and that she'll be there to help her pick up the pieces. Meanwhile, this is also the episode where Emma finds out that Rumpelstiltskin knew beforehand that she was going to be the savior, and that they, she had written her name over and over and over and over again on a piece of paper. That gave me the wig when we first saw that. I was like, oh, Rumpel, honey, oh, man, much. I mean, obviously he had a plan for that, but still I was like, oh, jeez. Well, you know what that has to do with, don't you? Oh, yes. Okay. So so for, and I'll, I'll explain it for anybody who doesn't know. But um, So basically the, Adam and Eddie have said, the creators of the show, they have said before that Rumpel did not know anything about the curse or anything until he heard Emma's name in the premiere, and that's when the curse on him was broken, and that's when he started rem- and that's when he remembered who he was and why they were there and everything else. But that before I have that, heard he- that, yes. So I think that the whole thing of Emma's name being written so many times on the scroll, like that was him, like his last bit of magic that he could do before you know, the curse came was that he was basically, like, that was how he remembered. He he wrote her name over and over and over again, and that's why his curse was broken when he heard her name in the pilot. That's what I think it has to do with. I mean, it makes sense, especially since he asked for her name. I mean, he, he was plotting up until, like, the last second, so. Yeah, that's, yeah, see, I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, I, of course, I could be wrong for all I know, but I mean, I, I haven't seen anything to the contrary, so I'm going to write it in my head the way that I think it'll be. So there it is. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's how I roll, folks. 
So, um, so yeah, basically, you know, Aurora, because her, she's being controlled, like, they're all in the cell, and Emma finds the scrolls, her name on it, and everything else, right? Well, um, that's when Aurora, like, throws the rock or whatever it is at the thing that has the gate open, and the gate slams shut, and then Cora and Hook show up, and, you know, they show that, you know, they have Aurora's heart, and Cora squeezes it a little bit to make her feel the pain. She has that moment where she, you know, she asks him not to do this because of her son, and he's, you know, and and this is why it's so weird to me that they're together now, because he tells her that the magic being is just like her, once so full of potential, but now it's all dried up and useless and doesn't have magic anymore. Um, yeah, that's I, kind of man. I mean. See, now, okay, I won't, I've warmed up to their pairing. I really have. I won't, you know, defend him so much, but I know from experience that when you are trying to push somebody away, you tend to say some really nasty things. So that could be that. I mean, I don't know if, but then again, I, that could also be like retroactive watching, like knowing what I know now. I'd be like, oh, clearly that was the thing. Um, but at the time, yeah, he really stuck it to her. When you when you're trying to push somebody away, yeah, you're when you're trying to really guard your heart against somebody because you you're afraid of them hurting you or you know betraying you in some way. Because she'd already betrayed him once by leaving him up, you know, in Giant Land when they went up to Beanstalk, right? So. You know, Hook is a pretty sensitive guy, so I feel like, you know, that was that was a betrayal to him. And so, yeah, I see your point there, that he was probably just really, really hurt, feeling betrayed, not wanting to ever, you know, feel like that again. Um, he was still very gung-ho. I was like, he's still, he was still, like, all about the revenge, though, too. And, you know, he was very single-minded in that, so he probably deflecting. Like I said, I won't make any excuses for any of his actions, but um, I wouldn't consider it 100% out of character, especially since we're, you know, it's more of a rewatch. This is true, and I, I have warmed up to the pairing, even though I will always fly my swan fire flag proudly. Um, oh, I, I like them together, too. That... <laughs> I mean, normally, you know, they say that, you know, girls tend to be attracted to men who are like their fathers and, and so forth. Well, excuse me, girls, women are attracted to men who are like their fathers. In this case, since she didn't know him, since she only really knew, you know, kind of bad boys and was obviously a little bit of, you know, kind of a bad girl herself, you know, she was a little bit of a of a whippersnapper, if you will. Um, like Hook tells her, there is a little bit of a pirate in Emma, so there, I can... Yeah, I can I can see it now better. I think, but I think that Emma still has a lot to figure out about herself, and so does Hook. And they both have aspects of themselves that they're trying to fix and work on. And it's going to be, you know, a slow process. I mean, it, it kind of is in any relationship when you're trying to fix the darker parts of yourself, or you know, what you could be considered the weaker part of yourself. Whenever you're trying to fix that kind of thing, it can be kind of a a long process because you're really having to look at yourself and and acknowledge your flaws and, you know, realize that you want to do something to change them. So I, it, just because we're talking about, you know, 
characters on a TV show here, I think that there's still a real-life aspect to that that, you know, will come into play, so. Oh, yes, and I think I think a perfect example of what you're saying about the fact that relationships take time is what we were talking about in the news segment, the fact that they are going to hit a few bumps. It's it's not going to, you know, that, that kiss at the end of season three is not the end-all, be-all. We're going to see them have to struggle a little bit because they are complicated people, and they both have... Like the, the whipper snapperiness, as you put it, um, to have to deal with. Right, there to have to deal. I mean, it's a lot for anybody to have to deal with, really. So, um, because you know, there's. I mean, they they've said in several interviews that you know this is a very complicated relationship. Um, I'm actually gonna gonna um, bring up my my. Um, prediction article because that's something that Colin O'Donohue and Jennifer Morrison talked to me about when we were talking at Comic-Con, actually. Everybody, I know if you're listening, we're kind of veering away from the episode review a little bit, but I think we're having a pretty good discussion right now, so I'm going to keep it going. So um, so Emma and Hook, you know, um, first of all, they released an extended season four synopsis a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things in there says, can Emma and Hook commit to one another, and can these two damaged people take their love to the next level? Well, when I was talking to the two of them at San Diego Comic-Con in July, Colin O'Donoghue said that it's a complicated relationship and it's not going to be easy. And I had asked him, I said that there seems to be some parallels between, you know, Kristoff and Hook and Anna and Emma in the fact that, you know, for anybody who's seen Frozen, the song that's about Kristoff is, you know, fixer-upper. And so that's what I asked them is, you know, is Hook a little bit of a fixer-upper like in the song because Kristoff is essentially somebody who just needs somebody to love him and kind of be there for him, and that's what ends up making him a better person. And, you know, they both, they both agreed with that. <clears throat> Colin and Jennifer both agreed that that was the case, that, that that's exactly what Hook needs and that's exactly the kind of person that Hook is. So, you know, just right there alone, there's another Frozen parallel coming into play, and it makes total sense why the things that are happening in Frozen, you know, are relevant to the current story of Once Upon a Time. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the parallels between the two of them are, are you know, obvious when you think about it in that way. Um, and, you know, and like you said, it's not going to be easy. Well, easy has never been part of the road to true love, not never. And, you know, there's going to be some... It, there's going to be added complications with Elsa and the Snow Queen causing problems, and you know Emma's learning how to use her magic and everything else. But um, they're going to find their way to each other by the season's end. They, I think that they will. Now, I have my own idea for what my own dream idea, if you will, for how the season would end. And Ashley, I know I've shared it with you. I think I'll share it with everybody else too. So um, sharing. Yeah, sharing is caring. Um, I really, would, <laughs> I would love to see the season end in a way where Rumpelstiltskin turns Emma into a swan, and I want it to be a case where Emma agrees to let that happen as part of a sacrifice in order to save everybody else. I want it to be just after she and Hook have finally admitted their feelings to each other and said I love you and all that other stuff to each other. Because then that would kick off season five and the search for the savior and the swan, they could do the swan, you know, basically the story from Swan Lake, the swan princess, Emma Swan, 
you know, Rumpel would have to do it. Maybe, like I said, to help save everybody else. Maybe, you know, it's the only way to, to defeat Maleficent as she's become so powerful that the, that as part of her downfall, you know, she, he has to turn her into a swan or else maybe she'll kill somebody. Like, maybe Maleficent will threaten to kill Henry, like, really, and it'll be more serious than Zelina's threat. Or maybe Snow and Charming, maybe Baby Neal even. And so the only way to stop that from happening is for Rumple to change Emma into a swan, and then they can do that whole stuff. That I want that so bad, I cannot even tell you how much. Like, even though it would obviously reduce Emma's screen time, which I don't like, I want that. I would love to see them play out the Swan Lake Swan Princess storyline. I really would. I would love to. I would love to see that, and I would love to see. I mean, like you, like you said. Um, with Emma, I, I wouldn't like to see Emma taking a back seat, but I would like to see how everyone kind of functions without the Savior just because everyone, I mean, Emma has felt the weight of the all the worlds. How many worlds have they been to? But she's felt the weight of all of them on her shoulders, you know, being the Savior. To take the Savior's savoring, save, not savoring, 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 out of the equation, she's not savory, uh, out of the equation would be interesting because then uh, I think that would remove a little bit of a buffer. To grant Snow and Regina obviously have been mending fences, but that Emma being the buffer between them, that would be removed. It would. She's, Emma is obviously the thing that ties everyone together um, as much as Henry is. And to see everybody continue to be tied together trying to help her, but without her being directly involved in that, I think would be interesting. Though, like you said, I do want all the Emma on my screen all the time, so I'm conflicted. (laughs) I am conflicted as well, but I would love it to be a thing where, like, maybe she is, you know, maybe she's locked in the tower or something, and she is Emma by day, and then by night she turns into a swan. Or maybe by day she's a swan, and by night she's herself, like, Something like She's that. She's a swan fire? No, it's, it's not a swan fire. A were swan. <laughs> yes, a were swan. Yes, indeed. Exactly. That's that's exactly what, what would happen. That um the, the the swan oh what was it the the, the swan princess that's not Disney that's no is that it's Disney the touchstone no I don't remember who that is so we we shall they who must not be named but I think that was kind of the bit on that too is that she was <laughs> princess by princess by some period of time and then swan by another. Um, I haven't watched that movie in ages. But but yeah, no, I, I, I could I could I would be down for that. Or maybe she's inhabiting that dream world and Aurora has to like dream mind meld to talk to her. So much potential with that. Exactly, yes. And just for anybody who's wondering, that movie was released by New Line Cinema and it was produced New by Line. Rich Studios and Nest Family Entertainment. So there you go. Thank you because so, yeah. I totally didn't know that at all. That's yeah, no problem. I'm here for you, babe. So yeah, there's. Um, I w- I would love to see. I just want them to really do some kind of a like. I want there to be a situation where the savior has to be. And I know that it's a thing where the only person who ever saves Emma is herself. I I get that. I want that to remain the case. I would want Emma to end up saving herself. I want there to be a situation where she is in peril by herself and doesn't have anybody else to, you know, help her out with it. 
you know, maybe they end up in a place where, you know, like some fairy, like maybe Tink shows up or so. I don't know. But I just, I want there to be some situation where Emma has to figure out how to deal with, like, she you knows she can, oh, I know, she can learn magic from Elsa and figure out how to do that. And then, you know, be, like, there with her skills, whatever, alone. And then she has to figure out how to use magic to, like, escape. And it's, like, a whole, like, thing. And then maybe they can bring in some other character. Like, maybe that's when Yensid the Sorcerer can show up. And then Yensid and Emma can, like, have this whole thing. And he, like, teaches her magic. And she's the sorcerer. The pretty- oh, my gosh. My brain is going crazy with fan fiction right now. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, if I I've unleashed a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a, a little bit of a monster has been unleashed. I will admit, but that's okay. Um, as, you know, because not all not not all monsters are bad. You know, all good things, all good things, as uh, as Olaf would say. So you know, there it is. Um, all right. So getting back to <laughs> we should the, probably go back to that uh, recap, huh? Hmm. Yeah, we should probably go back to the recap just a little bit. So, and speaking of the Savior, because we only have about 10 minutes left now. So, um, Emma is sitting there with Snow and explaining the fact that, you know, she, you know, she might be the Savior, but ever since she broke the curse, what has she really done? And she's kind of questioning her own abilities and everything else. And that's when Snow realizes that her name is written in Squid Ink and that Cora used to page, and that was how she got him to work. So that's what she does. She blows on the parchment that has Emma's name on it, and it kind of floats through, you know, the the teeth, I guess, of Rumpel's cell. They're not really bars. They're just kind of these sharp... Stalagmite-slash-type? Stalagmite-slash-type combo things that look like a mouse. Yeah. So, and it, you know, obviously disintegrates those things, which is lovely. And then they escape, and, you know, they end up going to the portal... You know, or to, to the rem, the remnants of Lake Nostos. Oh, they and tie her up first because she's still a heart zombie. So they tie her up. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And then Mulan, though, like she decides that she's going to help her out. Or, yeah, Mulan goes with them, and then that's when they go to Lake Nostos and they have their big old battle. And the one of the best moments of the entire like series happened, and it was the moment that I have been waiting for since I, you know, since the show started was that moment where, you know, Cora is going to rip Snow's heart out, and instead Emma gets in the way. And so Cora has her hand in Emma, and she's trying to take her heart, and she can't. The only person that I've ever seen that happen to, like, she can't take Emma's heart. And she says that love is weakness, and then Emma says no. Blows her back with that awesome burst of magic, and it's the first time we realize that Emma can do magic. And I remember when I was watching it the first time, I literally jumped off the couch and was screaming. Like, I was so happy about it. I just remember being, like, being so, like, no, when, when Cora stuck her hand in there. I was like, you're supposed to be going home. And then she, Cora's like, all right, this isn't working. And then, yeah, when the magic, like, little, and it was, it was that curse-breaking kind of, like, uh, ripple effect, too. And I was like, ooh. And then I remember being so mad at Snow because she, cause Emma's like, what, what, what? And Snow was like, that's a good thing to discuss when we go home. And I was like, no, but I want to know now. I know. That's like the equivalent of Ryan Seacrest telling you who got eliminated from American Idol after the break. Like, that, like really? Like, come on, man. That's what I kind of felt that. I love that battle just because I love everyone kind of running around the portal and like playing hot potato with the heart and the uh, the compass. And I, I, 
there's, there's, a, there's one of the funniest things I've ever seen on the Internet, and it was on Tumblr, I think, and it's a gif of them running around the portal, and it's set to the Yanny Sax music. I don't, I'm giggling just thinking about it. I don't know why that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, and if somebody can find it, and I will tweet the link because it's, it's buried somewhere on the Internet, but it, 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 it will forever be like the moment I was like, yes, I have found good people in these fans. They are funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, can we get that going on, please, because I want to see it too. Have you never seen this? No. Oh, Zach, I can show you the world. Like, this is funny. I, yes. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry. I'm just having a bit of a fan moment over the fans. That's um, okay. We can, we're fans here. Yes. But then I finally do go home, and I was like, thank goodness. Um, but one of the things that you didn't mention, I feel like, in, in the recap is there's a lot of parts going here, the whole business in Storybrooke. Because yes. you have uh, James David Charming McCharmingson has gone under the sleeping curse because he's trying to communicate with No, You don't know his name either. He's trying to communicate with Snow. So he's taking a snooze in the shop. And Rumpel is very much manipulating Regina into closing up the portal. He's like, well, you don't want your ma coming in town. So they steal the diamonds. You're right. They steal the diamonds, uh, much to the dwarves' uh, annoyance, and try to close up the portal. And there's a wonderful moment with Henry and Regina, because Regina has been assuring Henry, like, no, we're going to Emma and Snow, and everyone finds each other, and it's great. And then Henry finds out that, you know, Rumpel and Regina are going to close the well, close the portal. And he, he, they do the, their hoodoo, and it, it's all, you know, it's not looking too good for uh, Snow and Emma. And then Henry, you know, is struggling with Regina. He looks her right in the eye, and he's like, you know, have faith in me. I'm having faith, and you have faith in me. And I love that moment just because it really... I don't know, I just I I really love Henry's relationship with everybody on the show and I feel like that was a great moment for Regina cuz she's been kind of aloof with Henry since you know Emma and Snow have been camping and um, <laughs> to see it seemed at that moment in the episode that everything okay we're all going to calm down we're we may not be friends but we'll be civil and we're going to sort this whole fairy tale mess out so I like that. And then, obviously, well, what happens next? In this episode? There's a lot of stuff that happens in this episode. What happens next? Well, after that, after that is when Regina goes up to the well, and Rumpel is like, Regina, and she puts her hands out and, like, sucks all of the evil, dark green energy, like, into herself or something. Like, she stops right, it that was, from happening. kind of weird. I mean, yeah, she has that thing where she's basically, you know, her own personal Jesus, and she's got her arms up, and she's, you know, like flailing around and everything, and, you know, Depeche Mode <laughs> is playing in the background and all that other stuff. And then, um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone got that reference, but ha-ha if you did. So then, um, and then, oh, you know, she stops it, basically, and she apologizes to Henry, and he's all freaked out about the fact that, you know, they didn't come home, and then all of a sudden, Emma and Snow come crawling out of the well, and... And the claws when they have a chimney... Yeah, exactly, you know, because that's what happens. I mean, what we see, what we didn't see happen is that right after that whole scene, Tim Allen came crawling out of that scene dressed like Santa Claus. <laughs> so I was like, where am I? Um, so, you know, that's, you know, the more you know. So, um, 
so that's what happened there. You can find that in the you know deleted scene. So, no, I'm just kidding. So then they all go and they have their their uh, you know reunion with everybody. They go back to the shop and Snow kisses Charming and wakes him up from the sleeping curse. I love that. Say, I was like, ah, yes. Yeah, the reversal from the pilot, man, it's great. Like I loved that. Like I I did. I loved it. Um, I really wish we had seen more of Charming in the burning room, but then again, I just want to see more of Charming doing anything at this point because the man needs the man needs more to do. Um, I want him to I'm, have like a guy's situation where like it's like him, Hook, Robin, dwarves doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're out at the bar. I don't know what, no, I'm just. I don't care I what stuff be, is, but they're doing stuff. Yeah, I want them to be doing stuff, too. Like, I'm really thinking that, that since Regina split Snow's heart in half in Season 3 and then Charming has half and Snow has half, I think that the that the half that has the dark spot in it went to Charming. And mm. that we're going to see the darker side of Charming in Season 4. That's also in my prediction article. But that is what I think is going to happen. Um, Interesting. I, I, do th- I, I really think that that's the case. Um, at least I hope mm. so. Uh, because I want, I like it when Charming is dark. Um, I like it when him and Robin Hood had that little moment in season three where they're sharing a drink together in the stables back in the Enchanted Forest. I like that a lot. Um, yes. I, I think that Robin Hood and Charming are cut from the same cloth and that they have a natural rapport, which just cracks me up because those two are so similar. And then you look at, you look at Regina and Snow, who are the two, the women of these two men's lives, and it's like, okay, if, if Charming and Robin Hood get to be really good friends, like, obviously, like, Snow and Regina aren't going to be the best <laughs> way, and they're like mom and stepdaughter, like, it's just such a weird dynamic to think of, but... Like, you know what I, demand, I honestly demand a Thanksgiving episode as a special feature in the final season DVD to everyone around the table. I was just going to say that, like, I want there to be a Thanksgiving episode. Like, wouldn't that be great if somehow that's how the series ended, was that they're all at a table together sharing a dinner and, like, laughing and talking and being happy with each other as a like, family. Like, the longest table. Ever. I actually would love that as a finale. It's, like, the longest table ever, and it's just little moments of everybody kind of, like, oh, being family because, you know, that one of the cruxes of the show is family. And families come in all different shapes and sizes, as you know, given from this show. Well, I really want the show to end with all of them going back to the enchanted forest and Henry being crowned king, like when he's sixteen he's like king or whatever. Like five. Uh, wasn't there something on this DVD special? He actually is technically the heir to four different kingdoms at this point. Like right. he's the ultra king. He is. He's like he like. Oh, that's okay. So we have a minute and a half left of the show, but see, that's what—that's the real secret ending to Game of Thrones—is that Henry Mills from Once Upon a Time is going to portal jump and end up sitting on the Iron Throne, and Daenerys and Jon Snow and everyone is going to be looking at him like, "Who are you?" And that's going to be it. Like, I'm Henry the, Mills. <laughs> I'm Henry Mills, and I am your king. Yeah, because because suddenly Henry's going to have an accent at that point. So you know, I am your king. So yeah. Oh, okay. Like I'm. Yes, thank you, Betsy, for reminding me. So we have like a minute left of the show. Um, just want to take the time out to say thank you to everybody for listening in this week. We really appreciate your participation and joining us here. Ashley, obviously, thank you very much for 
for joining me this week as my co-host. Loved having you on. Um, please oh, give us a call you next. Thank for having me. I'd I love will. to have you. What are you going to watch next week? Next week, what shall we watch? Let's see. So, page down. Um, next week, we're going to watch. Hmm. I think I'm going to do The Miller's Daughter because I don't think we've watched it yet, and it could, and it totally mm. goes with the Queen's Hearts. Yes, I will definitely call so, in with that. So, The Miller's Daughter it is, everyone. So, for next week's, we have 10 seconds left. So, yeah, next week, everybody, it's The Miller's Daughter. We'll be back on Tuesday at our normal time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, or 8 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, I can talk. Thank you all very much for listening. Ashley, thank you for joining me. Good night, everybody. We love you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Bye. Thank you. Bye.